Take your Bibles and turn to the Scripture you see on the screen. John chapter 2. John chapter 2. Have you ever... Wait a minute, let me say it this way. Most of us will get in a car a couple of times a day. We will crank it up. We depend on it, and it runs, and it runs, and runs. And most of the cars that we drive have between 130 and 330 horsepower. And I used to ride horses and loved them, and horsepower, that's big stuff. And to think a vehicle has 130 to 330 horsepower is amazing. I know some of you have souped up your engines, and you have five or 600 horsepower, okay? But you get in those vehicles, and you just take it for granted it'll go. Here's my question for you. Have you ever run out of gas? It is the weakest feeling in the world to have that 300-horsepower engine, and it won't go. It'll just sit there. In fact, a couple of weeks ago, Deborah did not run out of gas, and I'm picking up my wife. A couple of weeks ago, she was on her way to Hattiesburg, and the fuel pump quit. Now, that renders your car pretty much like you're out of gas. And no matter how much she mashed that accelerator, it wouldn't go anywhere. And you know what? It occurs to me that that happens to us in our spiritual life. Have you ever run out of gas in your spiritual life? Have you ever just felt like, now now let me just describe this to you. I don't think I can take another step. I think it's hopeless. I I think I'm helpless. I don't think there's an answer to the problem that I'm facing. Have you ever run out of gas? Well, here's what I want to say to you. That's probably the time you're really trying to run with an empty spiritual tank. We're going to take a very familiar story, and I just want to, I want us just to grasp some of the nuggets. You know, when I was a kid, we used to love to throw dirt in the air, and it, and it would stick on us. We'd be sweating, we'd throw it in the air, and we were boys, and we loved it. And so I, what I want to do is throw some spiritual dirt in the air today and see what sticks to you. And as I get through in just a few moments, I'm going to give you an invitation because quite likely there is somebody in this room that has never asked Jesus Christ to come into their life and save them. Now, I'm not just talking about you pray the sinner's prayer. I'm talking about where from the bottom of your heart, Jesus, I need you to change me because if you don't change me, I have no hope. If that's you, nobody may know it but you, but God knows And he stands ready to fill your tank. Also, quite likely in this room, there are some folks, even with all this great worship, thank you, Dr. Al, for the great time of worship. There may be someone here who has experienced salvation. Jesus has come into their life, but you kind of got distracted, and some of the things of the enemy has kind of pulled you away, and you kind of elbowed God out of your life. And all of a sudden, you find yourself empty, trying to do it on your own. At that same time, at the end of this message, I'm going to give you an opportunity to let him come and refill your tanks. If you will, and you can, in honor of the Lord and the reading of his word, let's stand together as we read a few verses in John chapter 2. John chapter 2. On the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. When the wine ran out. By the way, I have another message from this. It's called, 
when the wine runs out. And so today, this could be running on empty when the wine, when the wine runs out. What to do? When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Now, there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. And Jesus said to, his, to the servants, Fill the jars with the water, and they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, Now, draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. And when the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine, and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn, it, drawn the water knew it, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves good wine first. And when the people have drunk freely, don't you like that? In other words, they were kind of out of it. When they have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. This, the first of his signs, Jesus did at Canaan and Galilee and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I pray for these next few minutes. I pray for every person in this building, and I'm aware before you that they need to hear nothing from me, but they need to hear from you. And I pray that today that you will slice open our hearts with the sword of your Spirit, that you will melt our cold, cold hearts with the fire of your Spirit. And I pray that you will impact us and impress us, that if there's someone here that doesn't know you, that today will be the day that they'll come to know you. If someone has pushed you to the side of their life, I pray that today will be the day of restoration and reconciliation. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. <clears throat> And I want to tell you going in, if you don't, we want to learn some good truths today, but if you're not going to enjoy this, you're probably, if, you go, if you left your sense of humor at home, you're probably not going to enjoy the message, and you're probably not going to glean anything from it. Because when I read this story, there's so much here that I just kind of get, I guess, tickled at. I mean, first of all, this is a wedding. You can go ahead and move forward. This is, this is a wedding. This is a wedding. And, and weddings are different and unique. I mean, everybody wants their wedding to be perfect. And every now and then you get a... Okay, ladies, don't charge the platform. Don't strangle me. Just know. Every now and then you either get a bridezilla or a mamazilla because everything's going to be perfect. May I just take and, and just level the playing deck? I don't know when I have seen a perfect wedding. Always something goes wrong. And when I counsel my, my wedding party as we're getting ready for the rehearsal, I said, I always tell them, at the end of the night, they're going to be married. It doesn't matter if the flower girl does loop-de-loops down the aisle. It doesn't matter if you miss your spot. They're going to be married. So enjoy the day. Now, I know that weddings are not right because of our wedding. We were married 40 business years ago, and uh, uh, when we got married, 
the baptistry was kind of high up, and Deborah walked out that day and put flowers on the ledge. Kid you not, there she sits. Two preachers, and I believe it was Brother Phil that said, if any man can just show just cause why these two shouldn't be joined together, at that time a wind came through the building and the flowers hit the deck. And we just looked at each other like, is God trying to tell us something? A couple of years ago, several years ago, another friend of ours was getting married in Gulfport. And when they turned to do the little ceremonial lighting of the candles, and they had an obscene number of candles up here. Before they got the candles lit, every candle on the stage was on the floor. And so they just laughed about it, had a good sense of humor about it. I read a funny story. This, this got, couple that we'll call John and Sue, they were getting married, and Sue was really nervous about getting married. And so the preacher thought the best thing to do was give them a verse of Scripture to kind of calm her nerves. So he found 1 John... 1 John chapter 4, verse 18, and it says this, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out all fear. And so he wanted the best man to read that, and when he explained it to the best man, he said, Now, now I believe this will fit this wedding perfectly and will help this bride and groom get started off right. And so what the preacher didn't know is that the best man was not a church-going guy, he was not a Bible guy, and he didn't know the difference between 1 John and the Gospel of John. So when it came time to read it, he said, I'm going to read this verse. The pastor thought it would be good for this couple to give them a good peaceful marriage and a good journey. And so he read John 4:18, which says, You have five husbands, and the one that you now have is not your husband. So if you're getting married or you got a child getting married, don't get upset when something goes wrong, all right? Because life goes on. When we get to the Scripture, we find this miracle is the first miracle of seven that, the, that the John wrote in his, about in his letter. Now, John tells us in chapter 20, this is just for information, that Jesus performed many other miracles, and he didn't write about them all. He only wrote about seven. And... Uh, um, and this is also the miracle that gives the Baptists the most fits. Jesus turned the water to wine, and for 2,000 years, the Baptists, we Baptists have been trying to change the wine back into water. But listen, folks, today, this is not about alcoholic or non-alcoholic, fermented or non-fermented. If you get hung up on that, you're going to miss the real message here for us. Jesus was invited to a wedding, and he attended the wedding. And it seems that his mom had some kind of responsibility there, either hospitality person or coordinator or director or something. And wine, they, lost, they ran out of wine. In those days, wine was the centerpiece. In fact, I'll tell you is that wine was to the wedding back then what the wedding cake is to the wedding today. It was not about intoxication. It was about hospitality. And I could go further to say that there could be some legal problems if they were humiliated as a family, if they ran out of wine. That was part of what they were supposed to have. But here they were, a wedding with a problem. 
The crowd was gathered. The punch bowl was empty. The guests were present. The party was going on. Um, they had no time, probably had no money to go replenish the cisterns. They were running on empty, and the party continued. They were running on empty, and they knew it was going to ruin the festivities. Now, can we just put a pause there? I just want to make this personal application to you because the truth is, if you've ever tried to run on empty, if you've ever tried to go on when you had nothing to go on, you'll discover that you that the problems seem to magnify. And yet I want to say to every one of us today, balcony floor, every wedding at some point will run out of wine. Every life at some point, will run out of gas if not connected to the source. I just want to, I'm going to take this story, and you, ooh, back that up if you will, Misty. I'm going to take this story, and we're going to just kind of back, we're going to walk through it. We're going to try to walk through it, outline it as you see on the screen. And I'm just going to let the dust fall on you, and hopefully you'll learn some things. First, as you see on the screen, we begin with the reality. We begin with the realities. This was this was a wedding. This was a wedding where something went wrong. Wedding normally goes wrong, and weddings things go wrong. The refreshment, the hospitality, was seen to be out the window. And like that's going to happen to us. Things are going to go wrong. So let me now let's just walk through these things. Watch this. First of all, the problem came. The problem came. Now the problem came because weddings were such a big deal. We think weddings are a big deal today. Now, today we spend a gob of money, and the wedding itself is over in about an hour or less unless you're a Catholic, and then it goes on forever. We spend a gob of money. We do a lot of stuff, and I have my own opinions about those things, and that's another message for another time. But the problem came when they ran out of the centerpiece. Can you imagine a wedding without a... Wedding cake? That's what this was going to be like. The people had come. Weddings lasted for a week there. A week. And they were partying. And, and if you remember the story, and, and generally it's when the wedding day actually came, the groom left his house, the house of his father, and he went to the bride's house to get his, to get his bride. It's kind of the... Uh, Wise and foolish virgins, and all along the way, friends would hold lanterns to, to light the way so they could find their way back to Dad's house for the festivities. But in this wedding, the problem came when they lost the centerpiece. It was unthinkable to run out of wine. The problem came, the second thing I'd say to you, that their plans were, were running the risk of being crushed. Their plans were running the risk of being crushed because, you see, they were not only building memories they were building a family name. How this came off would, direct, would directly affect the family. It wasn't a matter of life and death, but it was important. It was a big problem. It's kind of like, you ever lost your house keys? At the moment, it seems like your world's crashed in because you're standing there and you can't go in. But, it, but it, you know it's going to be resolved but you want it fixed, you want it fixed quickly. That was the problem with the wine running out. Fixed and fixed quickly. And, and, and it probably was, it probably seemed worse than it was, is what I'm trying to say. Y'all got me? 
Their plans were crushed because they were building memories. They were building a family name, and they were building a legacy. The reality is that problem came where the wine, uh, where the wine ran out, and their plans were crushed. And so Mary, it fell Mary's lot because of her responsibility. She had to consider the possibilities. So I want you to see the possibilities. And I want you to just kind of personally reflect it, and don't put on your real self-religious self, um, um, shoes. Because when something goes wrong, most of the time we don't consider all the possibilities. Think about Mary. She didn't get mad. She didn't seem to be mad. She didn't lose her ability to be civil. She didn't panic. She just recognized the problem, and she understood that there had to be a solution. Now, that's the reality, folks. We're going to face problems. In this case, the wine ran out. We're going to have a problem. Our plans are going to seem to go upside down. Our life is going to go upside down. Things we don't expect are going to come. And we have to consider what the real possibilities are. That brings us to number two, the response. The response from Mary. And I'm just going to make this as personal as possible. When a problem comes into our lives, we can either react or we can respond. Now, in case you're thinking I'm preaching a message to you, this comes to me because there is no one in this room that's quicker to react than me. I can react quicker than you can imagine. Reaction is that first, that first uh, time you, you encounter uh, whatever is going on in your life. Now, you look pretty self-religious today. Does nobody understand what react means? Yes, I got a hand. I got you. We know exactly what react is. It's normal. It's natural. It's human. But it's not spiritual and it's not godly. And normally when you react, you make a mess of things. And Mary didn't do that. She didn't worry about blaming somebody because the rind ran out. And I'm going to tell you, she did three things. And I'm going to put it in the, in the way that we can learn from her and we can apply it to our lives. First thing she did that we could do is turn to Jesus. Turn to Jesus. I mean, you think about Mary... She knew who Jesus was. She still remembered the angel visiting her. I want to say this to you. There is no problem too big. There is no problem too small to take to Jesus. In fact, years ago, there was a song written, There is no problem too big. God cannot solve it. There is no mountain too small. God cannot move it. Phil Johnson wrote later, Are you tired of chasing pretty rainbows? Are you tired of spinning round and round? Wrap up all the shattered dreams of your life and at the feet of Jesus, lay them down. Give it all to Jesus. Shattered dreams, wounded hearts, broken toys, give it all to Jesus. And He will turn your sorrow into joy. The first thing we need to do is turn to Jesus. Bring our problems to Jesus. Is that novel? Some of you more spiritual types will say, Oh, Brother Jerry, Jesus already knows my problems. I had to bring them to him, and you would be correct. Well, Brother Jerry, if I'm correct, why do I have to bring them to Jesus? I thought you'd never ask. 
You don't know a lot about Deborah and I. You're getting to know us a little bit, and we're loving being here. And even though I don't get to be here much because of my responsibilities, but we have two children. We have a daughter that's 36 years old, school teacher, in um, Brent, Centerville, Alabama. Christy's journey has been a little unusual. I told you a little bit about it last time I preached, I think. But um, Chris, Christy married Chris Odell, and, and Chris had two girls, and Christy had a girl, and they've had a girl. Can okay, you get that? You got Chris Odell, male, then you have Christy, his wife, Claudia, Chloe, Piper, and Aspen. Do y'all get the do y'all get the ratio here? I told Chris the other day, I said, buddy, I said, one day when you, when we put you in the ground and they do your death certificate on cause of death, little line, they're going to write in estrogen. But there, God is good. In less than a month, we're expecting another grandchild, and this is a boy. So reinforcements are on the way. That's Christy. Jonathan, our youngest, is 30, will be 31 in a couple of months. He and his wife and two boys live up in uh, Gunnersville, Alabama. Our kids are grown. And you know what we know about our kids? We know that our kids have problems. We know it. Do you know how many times we go and butt into their problems? We wait until they say, Dad, can you help me with this? Mom, will you help me with this? And then listen, when they ask us for our help, we will move heaven and earth to help our children and our grandchildren. Think about this. Bring your problems to Jesus. He can move heaven and earth for you. If you'll just bring what's going on in your life to Him, whether it's a a coldness, a spiritual coldness, whether it's sin, whatever's going on in your life, turn to Jesus. Second thing she did, she turned to Jesus. Talk with Jesus. <laughs> hey, I didn't say talk at Jesus. I didn't even say talk about Jesus. I just love Mary and her simplicity. When she turned to Jesus and she started talking to him, she'd use no flowery words. It was no it was nothing Master Jesus, wouldest thou consider helping us in all our humility because somehow somebody messed up and we don't have You know what she said? They have no wine. They have no wine. Did you hear that? Simple and sweet. Jesus, they have no wine. Somebody's once said that a Problem, a problem clearly stated is a problem half solved. She was short. She was sweet. She didn't dress it up. She just spoke plainly and clearly. And you know what that did? Now watch this, folks. Don't miss this. Here's a little dirt. She let him see her heart. If you'll talk with him and let him see your heart, when you bring it to him, just let him see what's on the inside. And that's particularly true when you're empty. 
Let Him see your heart so He can come in and fill it and fill your heart because it is in those times of your greatest hurt, those times of your greatest need, those times of your greatest lack that Jesus will come through. But now let me give you a, I need to give you a warning. Jesus doesn't always do it like you want Him to. Now, did you get that? He does not always respond just like you want Him to, but He will respond for His glory and for your good. But when I think about this story, I don't want you to miss one thing about this. Men, you need to sit up and take notice. Mary said, they have no wine. Did you get to what He said to her? Woman? What has that got to do with me? My time has not yet come. Now, we think he's saying, oh, by the way, let me just say this. Men, that's not a good thing to say. You're watching a ball game on a Saturday afternoon and Mama comes in and tells you to take out the trash. Please don't say to her, well, Brother Jerry said, woman, what does that have to do with me? My time has not yet come. You just try that on your wife. Your time will come sooner than you think it should. But that's not what he's saying at all. What he's really trying to communicate to her is, is, Mom, listen, it's not quite yet time for me to let people know really who I am. It's not quite time. In fact, several times in his life he said, My time has not yet come, and it's only in the garden when he finally says or the upper room when he says, my time has come. And he knew what he was talking about. He knew where he was headed. He's trying to explain the larger picture. But did you watch? Even though his time hadn't come, he still gave words. He still turned the water to wine. He still met the need. And he'll do it for you. Turn to Jesus. Talk to Jesus. You already figured it out. Trust. Trust in Jesus. Trust in Jesus. You know, when I read this story, and you, have, you get to know me and know that my mind don't work right. It's, it's okay. It's been a defect ever since previous, before I was married 40 years ago. But when I read this, she says, I, they have no wine. Jesus goes, woman, what does that have to do with me? My, t- my hour has not yet come. She ignores him. Now, can you see this? He goes, my hour has not yet come. And she just looks at him. She turns she goes, whatever he says, do it. Whatever he says, do it. Just, just do what he says. You see, you see, Mary understood some principles that we kind of miss. Mary understood you have not because you asked not. Mary understood that not only do we have not because we ask not, we can, ask, we can ask, but we can ask with the wrong motivation. We can ask for the wrong reason. But here's what I want to convey to you. You can trust in Jesus because He cares about you. He cares about what you're going through. He cares about your business. He cares about your home. He cares about your soul. He cares about you. There's some in this room that really need to trust in Jesus. That piano bench, that can hold me up. 
But I don't trust it until I sit down on it. Jesus can take care of you, but you don't trust in Him until you throw yourself on His mercy and His love and His grace and His offer. Whatever's going on in your life, Jesus is the answer. So, the reality, there's a problem. The reality, it has far-reaching impact. The response is to turn to, to talk with and to trust in Jesus. And what's the result? If you're running on empty, what is the result? When you, when you turn to Jesus, when you talk with Jesus, when you trust in Jesus, amazing things can happen. I can point to the water and to the water pots and, and say confidently that she knew Jesus would handle it, Mary knew Jesus would handle it, but she didn't know how exactly He would handle it. I want you to look here. Here's the crux, and we're almost done. Three truths about Jesus. When she came to Him, like when we come to Him, here it is, then He was attentive. He was paying attention. You see, Jesus understood the need like He understands your need. Jesus, Jesus had probably been to many weddings in His life as He'd grown up, probably 29 or 30 years old, and he'd probably been to many weddings. And He didn't want this to be an embarrassment to His mother. He wanted to help. And he's a, just like He was attentive to the needs there in that wedding that are so superficial, He's attentive to every need that we have. Whether you lose your job, whether you lose your house keys, whether you lose your car keys, your driver's license, or whether you lose the joy of your salvation. He's attentive to who you are and what's going on in your life. That's why, remember it, turn to Jesus in your hour of trouble. Talk with Jesus. Trust in Jesus because He is the answer. I love this part. When Mary brought her problem to Jesus, he was all in. It wasn't just part. He was all in. He was all about it. But not only was he attentive, the second thing I'll tell you is that he was available. I really think we probably need to go into about 60 seconds of meditation, just quiet, to think about that truth. The only reason Jesus could fill the buckets and replenish the wine and meet the need is because He was invited to the wedding. James Merritt said it this way. He said, The greatest thing that bride and groom did that day was not get married, but they invited Jesus to their wedding. Too often we don't invite Jesus into our lives. And we wonder why things go upside down so badly. You've never invited Christ into your soul. You've never invited Jesus into your life. You are running on empty. And you can invite Him in today and He'll come and fill that tank of your life, as it were. And He will give you the he will give you the go juice 
that may not be a good pulpit word, but it's accurate. He will give you the spiritual go-juice to do everything He wants you to do, everything that you need to do. He's available, but He's waiting for your invitation. i got news for you. Were I God, had I given my Son on a cruel cross, I wouldn't wait for your invitation. And yet, that's the God we serve. He gives us the right, the privilege, and the responsibility. He's waiting to be invited into your life. If you've just simply elbowed Him out of your life, He's waiting to be invited back. Your repentance invites Him into your life. He is waiting for an invitation to fill your empty water jar, to fill your empty tank, to fill your empty life. He's attentive. He's available. But the third thing I will tell you that they did that you have to do, he was accepted. Think about that. Think about that. Mary knew Jesus, knew who he was, remembered the angel's visit, remembered that she conceived him without having been with a man. The servants, they accepted Jesus as the answer for their problem. How do I know this? Now watch this. Mary turned to them and she said, whatever he says, do it. And guess what the servants did? They did exactly what Jesus said. We can say that we accept Jesus. We can, we can speak a good game. We can say we accept Him for who He is. We can say we accept Him for being our Savior. And yet... We can push him away with the sin of our life. Jesus says, if you love me, if you love me, keep my words. So you know how you know, you know how it's clear to you that you've accepted him? One word. Are you listening? Obedience. Obedience. Obedience brings blessing, and it never works the other way around. In fact, I suggest to you the reason our country is in such turmoil today is because God has blessed us, and we've not particularly been obedient. You see, the truth is, the water became wine after they filled the pots to the brim. And by, I'll just tell you this, and when the water became wine, when he made it wine, that wine was better stuff than man made. And when God fills your tank, he'll fill it with things you can only dream about. Oh, he may not do it like you want to, like you wanted him to, like you envisioned him to. I, I don't think Mary had any idea of how Jesus would do this, but she just trusted him. She accepted him to do it. Here's the question, will you? Will you? Years and years ago, I was going on a little excursion. Gas gauge was down right at empty. And I thought, it's just a couple of miles over there, and I can get there. And I was wrong. You may be trying to run on a spiritual empty tank today, and you think, oh, I can get there. And you'll be wrong. Don't run on empty. 
run to Jesus. Let's pray again.